Hey everyone, it's Jen and Jess from the beauty podcast, Fat Mascara, here to talk about Sol de Janeiro. So many of the beauty experts we interview on our show say that the key to great skin is to treat every inch of your body with the same attention you give your face. One of our favorite ways to do that is with Sol de Janeiro's Beja Flor Elastic Cream, a rich body cream that's clinically proven to boost collagen and has been shown to improve skin crepiness on the chest in just two weeks. Plus, it's scented with Sol de Janeiro's Charosta 68 fragrance. Sol de Janeiro is offering you 10% off your first order on soldejanero.com and free shipping with the code ACAST10. That's S-O L-D-E-J-A-N-E-I-R-O soldajanero.com and use the code ACAST10 for 10% off. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. They charge me with resisting arrest. Get that confidence in jail. I object. Hello, fellow patriots. Welcome to another episode of Allegedly Bravo. I'm your host, Lauren, and your other host is right over there. Ash, you guys, welcome back. All I can see in the Zoom is the tippity top of your bun, and it's so funny. (laughs) Well, we are working um, in some rather than perfect circumstances. I am laying in my bed. We're still in the loft, guys. Haven't gotten back in the apartment. Still flooded out. Big flood. Big flood. (laughs) um so I am in my bed to make the sounds a little bit better with my physical MacBook desktop so there's a 27 inch screen laying on my down pillows oh I'm like laughing so hard I have to take a picture of that and so this is the best I can do I'm sorry (laughs) wait (laughs) (laughs) hold on let me scoot up it's (laughs) It's not fun when we can't see each other. Um, Well, how's your week going? Oh my God. So good. Um, You know, I can't believe it's finally Friday again. I wanted to give a special shout out to one of our followers, Kelly A. Fabian on Instagram, who came through so hard with the seltzer wreck. She recommended that we try the Jose Cuervo Playa Mar lime flavor. Um, I do have that one. I, it's in the fridge. But right now I'm drinking a Topo Chico 
strawberry guava. Okay. So I unfortunately was not able to find the Jose Cuero one um, at my little rinky dink 7-Eleven up here. So I had to go with the Topo Cheeks, which I have had before and they are good because they're not as sweet and overpowering as, you know, sometimes the truly fruit punches or teas are. So I like them, but I am so envious because I love the fact she writes so hard for our seltzers. I know. And you know what? So do I. I know. And I just like, this is why we made this community. This is exactly why we're here. Please. All I want to do is talk about seltzer and anything else. Yeah. And maybe we can do a, like a ranking of seltzers because there are so many out there now. And let me tell you, a lot of them are not good. And you know, here's the thing. I'm not much of like a drinker. I'm more Mm -hmm. of like a, I, I prefer to smoke my substances because sometimes drinking gives me anxiety. So I was like totally out of the loop with like how far along the seltzer industry has come. Yeah. I'm just really proud of them all. So um, anyway, I'm drinking a tall can, so I feel a little bit, um, I feel a little reckless tonight. Oh, you guys, it's going to get wild. And let me just tell you, last week we did record a podcast episode, but it got too wild. So we are unable to drop that episode. We can't so, drop it. I mean, I we think can't. both you guys, of us cried and confessed our love for each other and what we're doing. You guys, I think it was a two and a half hour episode, but then turned in to a two and a half hour FaceTime afterwards. <laughs> I think I blacked out and got Taco Bell. I don't even remember. Oh my God. I burned popcorn. It was a hazard. So we're not going to do that again. We scrapped the episode and we're here. We're hydrated and we're ready to fucking talk about these criminals. Allegedly. You guys, this, where we're at right now in the Jen Shaw proceedings, the pretrial motions is giving me so much life. It's everything I live for. There's nothing better then reading through a defense's motion to dismiss, and then the government just coming right back. Whatcha? Whatcha? You know, have you ever been reading something where it's so persuasive? You're like, wow, like, oh I am so on board with this case being dismissed. And then uh-huh. government just comes in and slaps you across the face. And you're like, okay, I've been brought back to reality. This well, woman well, is a well. monster. We'll see about that. Because I think today we're going to take such an approach. Mm-mm. Um, we're doing a little bit of, I would, would you call it argumentative? I'm going to be on the side of Jennifer Shaw and cash is going to be on the side of the government. And you guys, if this is the demise of our friendship, so be it. Because I am, if it is, we're repeating the recording that we didn't release from last week. And I'm going to tape you to a chair and force you to watch it so that you remember how much you love me. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I am going to be team government this side. We are going to do a little method podcasting of sorts, mm-hmm. not too dramatic, but we are really going to hone into our roles and it, it's not too far of a stretch for me. And I don't think it's too far of a stretch for you. No, you know, I'm always on the side of the wrongdoer. I mean, yeah. at least I at mean, least. you never said anything more true. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> I just am. It's just who I am. I just am always on the side of the wrongdoer. So, but you're a, you are so empathetic at heart where you want to see the best in people and you want everybody to succeed. And I do have a little bit of that, but I also want to hold people accountable and like put everyone in jail. You're like Teddy because you want people to be held accountable where yeah. I feel like I'm 
I would say I'm a Kathy. That or like I was going to say a Sonia. Or a Sonia. Yeah. Where I'm just like, you know what? We're all just doing our best. And sometimes you steal. It happens. Yeah. And I don't appreciate we're getting off to a hot start because (laughs) I don't appreciate you comparing me to Teddy Mellencamp, who (laughs) I would actually sign a petition at change.org to never come back or grace our screens on The Real Housewives. (laughs) And when I say I want to hold people accountable, it's people like Jennifer Shaw, who allegedly has defrauded millions out of our elderly grandparents, our elderly grandparents. But you know what? I will say, according to Jennifer and co, some of them did make money. So uh, that being said, let's start from the top. (laughs) This is going to be wild. Um, Everybody listening, I need you to close your eyes and just jot a quick note up to the heavens just to bless this space that we're in and the conversation that we're about to be having. (laughs) Love and light. Love and light. Peace and love. With peace Peace and love. love. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. So on June 14th, 2021. Jennifer Shaw files a motion to dismiss the superseding indictment saying that it was insufficient as like a way to charge her for her crime. So the superseding indictment is that first thing that we all saw where it was like the justice.gov or whatever, like released that little press release thing saying what she was being charged with. So Jennifer's like, "Uh, no, that was insufficient. And her lawyer says, because It used vague language and sleight of hand to describe a nine-year scheme, and it was completely unspecific. And I have to agree, when I was reading the indictment, it really did have like a a use of vague words. Um, They used very vague words like potential victims and... God, I cannot. (laughs) Objection. (laughs) So Jennifer's also saying that there is no sufficient facts that even show that Jen was involved in this whole entire thing. And there are no words that specifically point to the promises that Jennifer Shaw allegedly made that were fraudulent. Um, So... Part of the rules when you indict someone is that there needs to be a plain, concise, and definite written statement of the essential facts that of the offense charged. So here's the deal. You can't just put a little bit of words like, oh, Jen Shaw committed fraud or conspiracy to commit fraud. None, nothing says what she exactly did. Like it doesn't get into the facts. It, it briefly brushes over it all. And if I were in Jen's position or Jen's attorney, I would be like, okay, so how, how so do you have a response? I could not disagree more. Really? Okay. I mean, I understand their argument and I know they're throwing, like having to throw shit at the wall and hope something sticks, Uh but the purposes of an indictment, we have to remember we are in a different space than civil. Yeah. We are in criminal land. So there are no emotions for summary judgment. And in this case, what the indictment has to allege, it just has to be a plain, concise and definite written statement of the essential facts constituting the offense charged. So at what point don't you just need, you need more than just the name of the crime? Absolutely. But the indictment didn't just say she's being charged with money laundering. She's being charged with conspiracy to commit fraud. She was though. Yes, those were, those were the 
crimes that were charged, but underneath it was a paragraph or two, or there were like two or three paragraphs underneath it, which alleged and met the elements of the crime. And so the government's arguing in rebuttal to the defense's motion to dismiss, they're saying, whoa, 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 Shaw has failed to meet her substantial burden to show that a demonstrate or to show or demonstrate dismissal is appropriate. So the government standing firm and contending that the indictment comports uh, with the applicable standard and the government has exceeded its notion or its notice of obligation. So they have to, the government has to, or the court has to look at the indictment as true. Yeah. But even if they do look at it as true, Jen saying all the words that are in there aren't even sufficient to show what the heck's even going on. And even if they, all these facts were true, does it even rise to the level that would show a judge or anybody else that she did X, Y, Z and got ABC result? Yeah. And I, I would have to disagree. So let me find the exact language. So in the government's response and opposition to defense's motion to dismiss, they go through each crime that's alleged um, first being the sufficiency of the indictment and the allegation. So they go through and they say that the information, the government's alleging in its opposition that even in cases involving very bare bones charges, courts will not dismiss the indictment absent a showing of prejudice. So because dismissal of an otherwise facially valid indictment is an extraordinary remedy reserved only for extremely limited circumstances implicating fundamental rights. So where a defendant has been given sufficient notice of the charges against him or her by means of, for example, discovery materials or bill of particular not have been shown in the indictment should stand. So what the government's saying is like, look, we gave you an indictment that alleges the charges and it also specifies in a concise way, the charges that um, how Jen Shaw engaged in this conduct. And then in addition to that, here is discovery. So here is discovery that's going to prove each one of these elements. And right. so it, it's a bit, not vague, I don't want to use that word, but it's a general, it's a, they use, the government uses that language in rule seven, that the indictment must be plain, concise, and definite. I yes. read that as short and to the point, nothing, we're not on trial here. It's just the government saying, hey, look, this information was brought to a grand jury evidence was presented to them and they found that there's enough evidence to take this case to the jury and prove, and the government could make a determination or to prove their case beyond a reasonable doubt, essentially. Um, Jennifer's attorney also brings up the point that um, this indictment is a far cry from the plain and definite written statement of the um, essential facts of the charge Mm -hmm. that are required by the fifth amendment. Um, because at, in the Fifth Amendment, you have a right to know everything that's being charged against you and why. So that's the first argument. What, what, and can I briefly touch on that? Yes. Which she is in the indictment. They are telling her you are being charged with wire fraud, conspiracy to commit wire fraud, conspiracy to commit uh, money laundering, all of these allegations. She has been put on notice of this. And I would also like to invite you to look at the government's opposition where they state that Jennifer Shaw was aware of this information or was aware at least that her co-defendants had been investigated all the way back to 2015. Well, one thing that I would like to invite you to look at (laughs) 
is <laughs> Jennifer Shaw's motion, um, where she says that um, the allegations didn't, um, the people who were the purchasers were well aware that they didn't own computers, they didn't have the, the things that were necessary to be even involved in the scheme, and they knew that they were going to make money or were or were not going to make money, and that at some point aren't the things that Jen and co did simply just mere puffery for sales purposes. Um, but I guess that is more for a trial. Um, but the first point yeah. of Jen's motion is, you know, the, the indictment itself is just not strong enough to be, you know, relied I- upon by the court. I would have to agree. I think that there's a, a bit of, information missing that I would yeah and I think what we need to remember and I think you made a good point like the points that you were bringing up are relevant for trial like we are at the initial stages of this case where the government is saying hey look I've collected x y and z evidence which then has led me to believe that Jen Shaw is engaged in these crimes and here we're filing it with the court we're unsealing it because we have gotten an arrest warrant for her and she's going to be picked up on these charges and we are putting her on notice that this is what she's being charged with. It doesn't need to be a complete evidentiary hearing at the indictment stage. It's just simply putting somebody on notice of the material material. Oh my God. I cannot say that word. Material Material, allegations. Yeah. We'll just say material allegations. So one question that I have then is, wouldn't as a as me and myself like Mm -hmm. I personally have involvement in a couple different companies or projects or whatever that I'm involved in as like a main person Mm -hmm. if I'm indicted for a crime I would like to know what you're fucking talking about and that's where are you are you mad at me for whatever I did on my uh, software development program, or are you mad at me for whatever I did on this podcast with you or, Mm -hmm. you know what I mean? And so I think that's where Jennifer's attorney brings up a good point and why they also gave a motion for a bill of particulars. Yes. And the government's coming back and saying, look, we did exactly what an indictment, what we did exactly what is required in an indictment. And on top of that, we then provided you with discovery. So in your review of the discovery, you will then be able to piece together. And that is, that's the whole, that's the criminal proceeding process. Like when I would go to trial and when I would file charges against some, well, yeah, let's go back. When I would file charges against somebody for driving under the influence, a complaint in criminal proceedings in misdemeanor land simply set forth the charges, listed the defendant's name, their date of birth, and it was signed by the, the prosecutor upon an affidavit that they have information and belief that, or they have information to um, support a finding for probable cause that this but does that, happened. Does that complaint state like the date and the time of yeah, the says, incident? Because I don't feel time. this indictment did. It just said over nine years, this person may have done this that was involved in this. Well, those are two completely different situations. You have a specified date of incident in the DUI example I gave versus in this case, this is an ongoing scheme that's been happening for nine plus years. So they can't, 
specifically identify an exact date of incident. They're alleging in a general time frame of when it happened because it was ongoing and it continued because she was working for multiple companies and then eventually went off and started her own company with allegedly with Stuart Smith. Right. So the second part of this motion is Jen asking for a bill of particulars, mm-hmm. which is, do you want to say what that is? I think you know better than I do. Yeah. So a person will ask the court, well, in this case, it could be a pros- the prosecution or the defense, but generally more often than not, it's the defense that's asking the court um, for a bill of particular or ordering a bill of particulars. And so what they're asking for is they want to understand the charges brought forth against the defendant. They want the bill of particulars to help them prepare a defense. And also it goes to help avoid any prejudices that a defendant may come across, you know, eliminate the element of surprise and trial. And also you want to, so they can be protected against retrial for some reason. Okay, so, so it's it's not uncommon for a defendant to ask for detailed information concerning the claims, but the most important part here, and it might be difficult for people who are not in the legal field to understand this, is that a bill of particulars is not meant to be used as a means of discovery. So okay, it's, so it's, when you say that, like, I know what you mean, but yeah. so for people who don't know what that means, discovery is the part between now and trial where everybody's getting the information and they're taking depositions and they're subpoenaing documents from mm-hmm. banks or cell phones or whatever. There's also something called interrogatories where you can ask somebody to state specifics or elaborate on specific information, et cetera. And that's not to be confused with a bill of particulars that's supposed to be, can you clarify the charges and why? Whereas like interrogatories or discovery would be like, tell us how you're involved. Yeah, well, we have to remember that we're in criminal land, not civil. So you're not oh, in, right. the disco- Sorry. in the discovery phase, you're not going to have special interrogatories because in criminal land, we have a the government has an obligation to produce all discovery so that the defense can have an opportunity to prepare for tra- prepare for trial. So that means all exculpatory evidence and inculpatory evidence. So exculpatory meaning yeah, meaning evidence that could go to prove the defendant's innocence, inculpatory statements that are could be used against him to prove his guilt. And also a defendant has an opportunity and a right to be, um, have access to the credibility of witnesses. And so a lot of times we'll pull rap sheets of witnesses. And if there's any type of felonious activity, anything that could go to the character of a witness can be used against them in trial. Um, so, so here Jen asked for seven specific things in the bill of particulars. Mm -hmm. I'll just read the seven things. Um, The first one is she wants to know, so this just so for everyone who might be reading along, which I don't know why you would, because this is some boring ass fucking paperwork. I'm on page 31 or page 23 of the document, page 31 of the PDF Mm -hmm. on Jennifer's motion to dismiss. It lists the following particulars, which sales floors are alleged to be part of the fraud conspiracy in count one, including the government alleges to have interacted with the defendant, which would be Jen. The second thing they want is which fulfillment companies 
are alleged to be part of the fraud conspiracy, including which the government alleged to have interacted with the defendant, which companies with merchant processing accounts are alleged to be part of the fraud conspiracy in count one, including which the government alleged to have interacted with the D, the defendant, whether the government contends that every one of the many claimed victims that Ms. Shaw may have interacted with over nine years is alleged to have been a target of the conspiracy, and if not, which of them are contended to be part of the charged conspiracy, the alleged co-conspirators, whether they're charged or not, the identification of the bank accounts through which the government contends Ms. Shaw laundered or conspired to launder money, and the approximate time frame of events. So to me, that goes back to what we were talking about earlier, where they're saying like, this is so difficult to understand. Mm-hmm. Like these are yeah. the specific things that they want. So mm-hmm. we pretty much already talked about that, but I wanted to just label like exactly what was there. Yeah. Um, because the so, m- oh, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to move on to the warrants, the suppressing the evidence. But if you want to talk about that, we can. Yeah, just really quickly about the bill in particular. So the defend, so the government saying defendant's motion should be not denied because the defendant has not and cannot establish that she's entitled to a bill of particulars in light of the various forms of detailed notice that the government has provided with respect to each charge. And so if you go to page 21 they, on the government's opposition, they state that the important, the important, they cite case law that says this the important question with regard to bill of particulars is whether the information sought is necessary not whether it is helpful so and a bill of particulars is not a general investigative tool a discovery device or a means to compel the government to disclose evidence or witnesses to be offered prior to trial the vehicle of a bill of particulars serves to inform a defendant of the nature of charges when he or she is otherwise insufficiently informed and when uh, and must be misused. It must not be misused to compel disclosure of how much the government can prove. So again, it, just going back to it not being a discovery tool, and this is where. So in the in the government's opposition, what they do is they outline more specific specificities related to the indictment, and so they go into way more detail about her little fraudy fraud. So again, we all know that she was using these lead lists um, to fuel a business opportunity. And so these individuals would make small on the victims would make small online purchases in response to an ad offering regarding work from home or other offerings that were offered by Jen Shaw's alleged business. So then the victims would make these initial purchases from these businesses and then these victims their information would then be sold to uh i believe it's called um, floor marketing and so they were just selling this information to these vulnerable victims and then the victims would have conversation with coaches who i believe would have been the defendant in this case miss shaw and they would have conversations and they the victims would understand um sorry the defendant would then teach the victim certain things about how to operate a business and they would basically like prime the victim to buy additional services that would make the victim's business more successful. And the things that they would buy were actually from these telemarketing schemes or these business floors. Well, so that goes back to the point that I can't mm-hmm. stop making where it's like, if, if all of this is true mm-hmm. and if all of this is taken as truth, 
And if Jennifer really is the VP of business development of a huge company, I would say that it's pretty fair to ask which companies they think that she was dealing with because in her day-to-day life, I'm sure she dealt with many companies and I don't know if she was fraudulent with all of them and I'm sure she doesn't either. And I feel like if she doesn't know exactly which companies the government is trying to charge her with um, being, you know, involved with, that Mm -hmm. she should know exactly which companies those are because she likely talked to more than one and likely dealt with more than one. Okay. And I think that it's important to protect her um, ability to plead double jeopardy and to know what she is saying when and what could, what could, you know, plead the fifth or whatever. So Jen Shaw was deposed in 2015 by the FTC in an investigation of top shelf, which was a marketing floor that was, you know, buying these lead lists from these, from other defendants. So in the deposition, she admitted to working for Thrive, which is a company, which is a marketing floor, I believe, and was responsible for managing Thrive's relationships with outside sale organization. So then the FTC filed charges against Top Shelf, the marketing company, as well as another company called Guidance, which Jen Shaw then went to work for at a later time. And they alleged unfair and deceptive business practices in connection with coaching and working from home businesses. So something that's kind of a fun fact, though, is that the government can use this testimony from a deposition against her in trial. So just remember that. So the improving motive and intent. Right. So the thing about that deposition that you brought up is that in that deposition, Jennifer and Stuart both were discussing the companies that that was involved with. Mm -hmm. And both times Jen was not in an executive position in either of the companies. And in fact, in her red steel company, she wasn't well, we haven't even, gotten there yet right but you know i'm just saying see these are more companies that but i think she was the vice president for thrive at one point she was the vice president of business development co-vice president with Stuart smith well we can all Above, call ourselves something but you can still manage and be aware of the fraudulent activity that's happening in your business you can but at what point does an employee or a member of the business become responsible for the crimes of the upper level we'll be back after a quick break finding ruby is the incredible true story of a 16 year old tricked by a seemingly innocent facebook message a message that would lead her from the protection of the mountains to the nightmare of an online trafficking den Hey everyone, it's Jen and Jess from the beauty podcast Fat Mascara here to talk about Sol de Janeiro. So many of the beauty experts we interview on our show say that the key to great skin is to treat every inch of your body with the same attention you give your face. One of our favorite ways to do that is with Sol de Janeiro's Beja Flor Elastic Cream, a rich body cream that's clinically proven to boost collagen and has been shown to improve skin crepiness on the chest in just two weeks. Plus, it's scented with Sol de Janeiro's Charosta 68 fragrance. Sol de Janeiro is offering you 10% off your first order on soldejanero.com and free shipping with the code ACAST10. That's S-O L-D-E-J-A-N-E-I-R-O soldajanero.com and use the code ACAST10 for 10% off. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. 
Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Her first message to me was like, Hi, are you looking for a job? Ruby is hidden from the world, from everyone except her abusers. But she isn't alone. There is a team of people looking for her, and they will stop at nothing to find her. This isn't just the fight of her life. It's their fight too. Search for Finding Ruby today. You are an upper, upper level if you're a vice president. You have understanding well, about the, how the business is running. And what I find interesting is that she was working with, had she just been running this company with Stuart all on her own, I can understand your argument. But the fact that she has all of these ties to all these other companies that have also at this point in time been prosecuted for the same telemarketing scheme. And then she branches off from them. So in 2017, she broke off with Stuart, started their own businesses called Red Steel, Fortitude Holdings, and Mastery Pro Group, LLC. In 2017, the government alleges that Shaw became aware of the government's focus on telemarketing schemes and then had allegedly began directing those who were engaged in business with her to incorporate companies in the names of third parties in Wyoming, where the corporation was um, operating and doing business. And they also would communicate through encrypted messaging apps. To me, this is all circumstantial evidence that goes to show and prove a motive, knowledge, intent of this ongoing scheme. I don't think that it's. But I, I think that here's my argument. I think that if you're going to. Uh, be the government and you're going to allege all of these things against Jen and you're going to get so far into it that you're like going to the e-board organizational chart of some company you should tell her what company you're talking about and if you have that much detail about it you know is that I didn't see everybody else involved and another thing in this organizational chart you have the C-level group which is like CEO chief operating officer, business development partner, which is Dave Rossiman, Matt Rossiman, and Todd Newtall. The CFO is Lee Jones. And then below that, you have um, one, two, three, four, five, six different sections of this company, of which Jen and Stuart only manage the business development side. Mm-hmm. And they have no employees under them. So at what point is it just administrative? And if the government can allege all of this stuff about her in this indictment, I I feel that she's not asking for too much to say, which companies are you talking about? Mm -hmm. Well, we have to remember that if the government does order the bill of particulars, nothing really happens. It's just that the government has to provide additional information. It's not like the case gets dismissed at this point. But right. I think it's a, but it'll I'm help still, Jen build her case so that she if, knows what even to look for in all this. Now, I think I think Jen knows what to look for because Homegirl was controlling the day to day operations of Mastery Pro, which was another one of her companies. And Mastery Pro had a fulfillment company out in Kosovo, which sounds like one of those countries from 90 Day Fiance. Oh, yeah. And they had directed other participants in the scheme to direct payments to Kosovo. Allegedly. 
Allegedly, of course. And the government said that Jen Shaw's practices were no different than the co-defendants that have been prosecuted. Okay, which is fine, but this isn't... She I would just hasn't like, gone through all that trial, and I think if she's no different or she's done nothing different, then what did she do? Well, and what I would love to do is go and pull the indictments from the other the other co-defendants and, and the other people who have been prosecuted and compare so you can see... Well, I will not, say that this is it, it's, this it's is not the first simple. motion to be brought. This is the first motion of this type to be brought in this case. Um, from my understanding, according to the declaration of Jennifer's attorney, this mm-hmm. is the first time this motion of this kind has been brought in this case with all, I believe, 12 defendants. Yes. Allegedly. Allegedly. So should we move on to the warrant or do you still want to talk about this? Okay, I just want to touch on one really quick thing about the indictment. So when okay. the court's analyzing a motion to dismiss that's brought by the defense for insufficiencies, me. yes, the court should look only at the face of the indictment, not the facts the government expects to prove. So that's, in my perspective, the facts the government anticipates to prove are the bill of particulars. Therefore, they don't need to show that in their indictment. So the court will generally not find an indictment insufficient unless it fails to state a material element of the offense. You're getting caught up on particulars and specifics. As long as there are a precise, plain description of the charges Jen Shaw is facing and the elements have been proven in that indictment, it's enough in the plain reading of the indictment. So let me pose a hypothetical. Mm -hmm. So say I'm a doctor and I have 100 patients under my belt. If I'm indicted for a federal crime, would it be sufficient for the government to say Dr. Lauren is indicted for federal crime on the victims? No, but that's not what this indictment says. Well, it basically does because it no, names it victims as a group and it doesn't name the victims individually. Or, it doesn't have to. That's the so thing. That's it what does- I'm saying. Like if, if a doctor, if, if you were indicted, would the government say related to clients? But the, the, the example that you j- just gave was a conclusory statement and it wasn't substantiated by any type of evidence or fact. And, and so in exactly this exactly Jennifer's point, no, it's not. You just <laughs> said if the doctor did X, Y, and Z, I said, if the doctor was indicted, okay, we'll make a fake charge. I'm indicted with malpractice, or I don't know, we'll call it federal malpractice, even though it's not a crime, but it's going to be today. I'm indicted for federal malpractice of victims, of my patients. Again, you're simply stating a conclusory statement. You're being indicted for malpractice against your clients or victims. You're not, in this case... So in the indictment, go back and read. So count one, they have conspiracy to commit wire fraud. There's one, two, three, four, five paragraphs that substantiate and meet the elements of, and then there's statutory but none allegations. none of those words ever say who the victims were. They other don't than have just, to. It yeah. doesn't have to allege the victims because when the government then produces the discovery to the defendant, the defendant will see the names of the victims. You have to remember the evidence was presented to a grand jury. And so the grand jury was the one who made the finding that there was enough evidence to prove this case beyond a reasonable doubt. Yeah. This isn't the government acting willy nilly, just like here, we're going to charge you with this. Like 
no, but what I'm saying is Jennifer should know exactly. We're going around in circles. No, I know that. But we, she just simply has to be put on notice. Being put on notice is different than having access to every piece of discovery. So let's move on. Okay. You can cut that down to like five minutes. It was interesting. Okay. So then Jen motions to suppress the evidence seized pursuant to two defective search warrants or in the alternative, an evidentiary hearing. So the, there are two separate warrants in this case. One Mm -hmm. is a warrant that was issued on March 2nd, 2021 by honorable judge Lerberger for the historical cell phone location information for two of Jennifer's cell phones between so what that's asking for is cell phone site location information. Right. So like Which, where because, your cell phones ping in. Uh-huh. Because, and then the whole thing said that every half a mile, there's a cell phone tower that helps ping your location. So they want to know where Jennifer's been between December 1st, 2017 and the May 29th, 2020. Mm-hmm. That's what warrant number one is asking for. Well, let's. Let's go, let's just touch on that. Cause I think that's going to be a really, I think this is a, a slam dunk for the government. Um, so the government's arguing that in the defense motion to suppress meeting, Hey, look, you unlawfully obtained this information through an unlawful search and seizure, i.e. the warrant. Therefore, because this was an unlawful warrant, you should, we can't use this evidence in trials. So what the government's saying is, hey, hey, look, like, yeah, you're alleging all this, but it's a moot point because we don't intend to use any of this information at trial. So the government's saying, look, we're not going to use the cell site location information that's been obtained. And in fact, the government didn't receive any information from the cell phone provider in response to this warrant that they issued. We'll be back after a quick break. I'm Shannon Jimenez-Sassone, a former NYPD misconduct investigator, a podcaster, and a videographer. I'm Nat W. I've been a social worker for a hot minute. Working alongside the police left us with more doubt than encouragement. Uh, We've tried in our career fields to be doers, and it still feels impossible. Is it even possible to work alongside the police and not be part of the police state? Fixing it does start with having the conversations. It's everything that you should know about the police. It's going to be a hard conversation, but it's a hard topic. Not an Arc podcast premieres Tuesday, January 17th on all streaming platforms. Which I believe then still, the then if that is true, and if that is the case, the government should have no problem with the judge ordering this and saying, fine, then all the fruits and this warrant was defective and all of the fruits won't be allowed. If you don't even plan on using it anyway, we won't allow any of the information, even if you didn't get it. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I disagree. It's a moot point. They're not, but if it's a moot point, but I, I understand because I understand. I would the want the order. To, exactly. The defense wants to exhaust the, that Avenue to ensure that there are no surprises in trial that the government's like, hey, look, we're... But the parties could stipulate not to use the evidence. Maybe, but it reality. doesn't look like the government would stipulate to that at this point. They haven't been stipulating to hardly I think, anything. I, I think the government would stipulate to not using that evidence because they've just conceded the fact that it's a moot, like, it's a moot point. So I don't think that they would... I think it, then in that case, they should allow that order. And then the second warrant was for 
records relating to the email address. Mm-hmm. So that one, do you have information? Oh, I'm that? sorry. I'm sorry. The I apologize. So the first point with the cell phone, they're saying, hey, look, that's a moot point. And then the email address one is where they're like, hey, look, we sent that warrant out and we didn't get any information. So, so we have saying, no documents. There okay, is then, no discovery. Then I doubled down on my argument. And then I agree warrant number one and warrant number two should be deemed ineffective. And um, all fruits should be deemed inappropriate for you. Well, sure, they can have a suppression hearing, but it whether or not the court would find that there was, but there if was there evidence is- to insinuate there was an unlawful search or seizure, I mean that's a completely different. I I don't I don't have enough evidence in front of me, obviously, but if they're saying, "Hey, look, like we didn't get any information from it," of course you still have to. I guess you could potentially argue that there the warrant was invalid or was unlawfully. If there issue, are no, but, if there is no information, then I don't believe there should be any problem with ordering I mean, that. You can, the thing is, they're just simply arguing to the court. They can still schedule a motion to express. Right. Which Unless is the, the court, other motion that they no, asked for the Frank's motion. Is that different? No. So a defendant, so when you're asking for a motion to express evidence, you're saying that there was an unlawful search or seizure. Okay. So generally a search and seizure without a warrant's considered unreasonable. So, and then you can also argue that the warrant was insufficient. The property or evidence obtained is not described in the warrant and there was no probable cause to issue a warrant. So those are all grounds to argue that the search and seizure was unlawful. So I don't know if the court's going to make an order or if they're just going to issue and ask that the defendant and files a motion to suppress because this was simply a motion to dismiss. I don't technically think he filed a motion to suppress, but so Jennifer said that the um, warrant was deficient because they were both based on intentionally or recklessly false and misleading statements Mm -hmm. and omissions by detective Bezos Mm -hmm. and that detect, I'm sorry, (laughs) Bezos, Bezos, that Bastos materially, materially. Why is that word so I hard? Know. I think it's all the vowels. Materially, so materially, like- omitted the fact that at least some of the victims did make money, and alleged mm-hmm. victims were explicitly told that no earnings promises were being made, and that was left out of the warrant. And so when the judge relied on the warrant, he relied on the fact that all of this was true and didn't rely on the fact that there were no promises made and some of the victims did make money. So the government's saying that, hey, look, this argument's without merit because the alleged false statements and misleading omissions were neither false nor misleading. And in addition, they're immaterial. So so when going to the Frank standard, so this is a high standard um, about whether the defendant must make a substantially preliminary showing that a deliberate falsehood or statement was made with reckless disregard for the truth and was included in the warrant affidavit and the statement was necessary in the judgment finding the probable cause. The defendant has argued that the allegations or the um, information contained in the affidavit that was written by the officer was intentional intentional or reckless correct correct so the government comes certain facts that would be would be leaving any of this yeah so so the defense is saying hey look had that information been included in the affidavit the judge would not have found probable cause to issue the warrant therefore deeming the warrant 
poisonous. Right. So, so the gov- if they had the information in there, it yeah. wouldn't have been granted. So, so this they is purposefully the go- left it out. Yeah. So the government's saying, whoa, whoa, whoa. The defendants alleging that the affidavits contain two intentional or reckless omissions to the fact that at least some alleged victims, in fact, made money and that the alleged victims were explicitly told that no earning promises were being made. So the government's really relying on the fact that when Detective Bastos had drafted the warrant, he had, through his participation in the investigation, including had interviewed, sorry, up to 100 victims. And so he had learned from that the victims were indeed made promises that would earn them money. So he's saying that he took their information for truth. And so the omissions the defendant identifies were not clearly critical information and plainly were not designed to mislead. The defendant, therefore, has not and cannot show the omissions to the extent there were any were made with a reckless disregard for the truth since the detective had relied on hundreds of statements, testimony, and his investigation that this one minor omission would not have changed the judge's decision in finding probable cause to issue the warrant, which I would actually agree with. And this is me being a hundred percent objective. You have to look at all of the evidence that they have against Jen versus that one small admission, that one victim said, right. Well, I did. Even if, even if one person did make money, then that shows that someone did make money and it wasn't a scam. But if 99 people didn't make money, the evidence goes to prove that there, it was more of a fraudulent scheme than beneficial. I mean, but that isn't that the whole part of scheming? Like you can't fuck everyone out of it, out but of their money. The you got to make it look real at some point. If the government is going to take over your phone records and find out where you've been exact locations from 2017 to 2020, mm-hmm. I would just say that somebody omitting some major fact is kind of a big deal. Yeah, but um, it's like giving an example, like omitting the fact that the defendant's a nice guy, but he killed somebody. It's like he still killed somebody, you know, like admitting the fact that this person that she one person made money out of hundreds and over a nine year period doesn't doesn't in any way change the fact that she's engaged in this criminal activity and this fraud scheme that's so complex. It would change the way that they obtain the information. And maybe instead of a warrant, they would have to obtain the information by some other means. I don't think that it's okay to omit facts on a warrant that would allow the United States government to go and pull your location for the last three years. I think that in this case, the evidence is so substantial that the affidavits demonstrated that she was participating in a criminal scheme. And I think that they don't. (laughs) So. Okay. So then going down that it's just the fact that the government said that Miss Shaw operated the company called red steel, like all of these misleading statements from this detective mislead how involved she was the, when in fact, in the red steel company, Stuart Stewart, that she owned and operated with well, that the government alleges that she owned and operated Stu mm-hmm. chains in that, that case we talked about above that Jen was depoted in. Stu Chains was also depoted in and Stu Chains testified under oath that there are three total employees of Red Steel, Mike Brunswald, Jared Patterson, and Stuart Smith. 
Mm-hmm. And well, how many of if, them are facing criminal charges? But none of them are Jen Shaw. For Red Steel. For Red Steel. Okay. According but to Stuart Smith, none of them are Jen Shaw. So the fact that they use the fact that the Red Steel email was used in a text message from Jen Shaw in order to get all of that cell phone information for the last however many no, years but the is inappropriate. No, the government said they didn't obtain any information from that email warrant. But they said that they had the reason why they wanted the other warrant, the second warrant, was because, or the first warrant, was because they had information that Jennifer asked somebody to email her to her redsteelco.com email address. But we also have to remember that's the defense's and so then they said, well, she wasn't even a part of it. So if I said, you know but what, you send me the email at, you know, Joe Schmo at gov.edu. Does that mean all of a sudden I'm in charge of gov.edu? No, I'm not an employee there. I just asked someone to send an email. So I think that saying that she operated this but company you're also, is a big allegation with no proof. When you have proof to the other way. Well, we also have to remember, one, she's using encrypted, encrypted messaging as of 2017. Two, you're also making it's not a arg- crime to use encrypted messaging. No, not at all. You're assuming that this is the only information the government was relying on in obtaining its warrant. Well, when that's what's said in the warrant declaration, that's all I can assume. I just feel that just because you have be- a text message saying email that to blah, 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 doesn't provide sufficient enough evidence enough for me personally to believe that somebody operated a business with the same name. And I'm going on the presumption that the government had additional evidence and was not merely basing this affidavit on that one single email. Yeah. That references red steel. I'm assuming that that that's why this is going to be so much fun when we get all the real evidence, you know what I mean? Oh, yeah. It's just difficult for me to believe that the government received an affidavit solely based on that one fact, because there's so many co-defendants that have been prosecuted. There's so many other people that have been prosecuted because this is such a huge telemarketing scheme that the evidence is super significant. I mean, in the defense's motion, didn't they say that he had received over like a million documents, the defense attorney? Right. And while that's true, like someone can hand you a million documents and be like, hey, by the way, you're charged with a crime and the answer is in there. I'd be like, what? The I mean, there fuck? are rules of discovery, but you know, the best part, we don't even have to decide. We just have to talk about it next wow. week. The judge is going to rule on the motion to dismiss and then we'll obviously go from there. But if the court denies the motion to dismiss, then the next I would assume the next step is they're going to have a preliminary hearing. And then they're going to have a motion to suppress where they'll have an entire hearing on those warrants where all the evidence will come forward. The detective will have to testify and the judge will make a finding of whether or not there was an unlawful search and seizure. Because if the, if the judge then suppresses that, that evidence, it could be completely detrimental to the, to the government's case. Right. Which is why Jen's like, surprise. Okay. Wait, can we get onto the most, Fun okay, part but of this entire thing. Can I, just, I feel like you have no ground to stand on. Can I be honest with you for a second? Yeah. We've been going for an hour. Should we cut it and start Miranda next week? 
um, touch briefly on the Brady stuff. And I, I have a short comment about that. And then we T- can move then on. Go to- on the Brady stuff first. I'll read what we want. Okay. So okay. you guys, then the defense is also bringing in the motion about the government's obligation to provide Brady and Giglio information and material. So I'm not going to bore with you, bore you guys with all the facts about Brady and Giglio, but really quickly Brady material. So it's evidence that the prosecution's required to disclose that would include exculpatory evidence or evidence that could potentially reduce the defendant's sentence or evidence that could go to the credibility of the witness like we've previously talked about. So there really aren't, I don't think any hardline rules regarding when information has to be disclosed. Brady information has to be disclosed. It just has to be disclosed. I think before trial, it's generally 30 days. You just have to give the defendant enough time to be able to prepare their case. And so that's Brady information. And Giglio is, I, I, God knows if I'm pronouncing that right. So that is where the government has to disclose information related to any deals that witnesses have taken. So we have, I think in defense's motion and the government's motion, they make reference to other witnesses, confidential informants. So the prosecution has an obligation to provide that information to defense so that they have an opportunity to be able to create a defense and be able to effectively and process the information and that way they're aware of what witnesses have been able or have received any leniencies or deals from the government. On March 30th, 2021, Ms. Shaw was arrested in Salt Lake City, Utah, while on the road on her way to recording an episode of The Real Housewives of Salt Lake City for the Bravo Network. Oh my God. Can I tell you when I read that sentence, I'm feeling it again now, like my nipples are hard. Yeah, it's like we made it. Like we are, like we're here. We're like we court. are on. We're in the court. We're in the courts. We've made it. Probably not under the best circumstances, but we're here. Who cares? Who cares how you got there? Like we're salacious. We're being recorded. There's drama. There's other witnesses. There are cast members that are present. There's agents. It's just. It's there's... just. It's just crazy. It's it's so fun. It's so fun. Okay. So anyway, she's on the road. She's in the car. They're filming for the network, blah, blah, blah. That's when she gets arrested. So I think we should just go forward with just like a quick what happened? Because I could really talk about this all day. So I really need to rein myself in. So you guys, I know this episode was long. We got into the meat and potatoes of the entire motion to dismiss the government's responses, but don't worry. It's not over. We will try to keep you entertained while also trying to inform you of the hot goss that is contained in these pleadings. Follow us on Instagram because we are putting out, may I just say, we are putting out some fire fucking content. Follow us on Instagram, Allegedly Bravo. Go to our website, www.allegedlybravo.com. Follow us on Twitter, Allegedly Bravo. Wherever you are listening to this podcast right this second, I need you to stop. I need you to go to the review button. Give us five stars, please. And just like, you know. Get, you know, we do this for free. So it would be nice. A compliment would be nice. Okay. Just no one. Show, yeah. Show us some love. We absolutely appreciate you guys and continue to engage. Like we love getting the comments. We love getting the DMs. Like 
We live for it. It's what seriously the highlight of her day. And also we want to remind you, don't worry. We did not forget about Miranda. She's going to get her own special little oh. 20 minute, 20 to 30 minute segment. And who knows when it's going to drop because it's you know, a I'm surprised. Just I'm like for- this fucking warrant, yeah. just like this arrest. Surprise, I'm, bitch. I'm for Topo Chico's in, ladies and gents. And, and I'm so- on my second tall camp, baby. And I'm about to flash my titties and talk about Miranda. <laughs> Miranda who? <laughs> it was you. That's Miranda all who? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Miranda Mrs. who? Roper. Mrs. Roper. Honestly, like the only reason Kelly made it that far on that show okay. is because of screaming who? Yeah, and also being at the quiet place or whatever. The oh my woman. god, the quiet woman, which I did go for my birthday, not last year because we were in lockdown, but the year before, and I also put my face on the window. So I did make out with Kelly Dodd. I have been tested for STD since then, and have I'm you, fine. Have you been tested for the vid? I've been tested for the vid multiple times because I am. What do they call it? A hypochondriac. So <laughs> like we. <laughs> Okay, wait, let's end it. Let's end it. Okay, okay. Bye, everybody. Okay, bye, guys. Thank you. Hey, everyone. It's Jen and Jess from the beauty podcast, Fat Mascara, here to talk about Sol de Janeiro. So many of the beauty experts we interview on our show say that the key to great skin is to treat every inch of your body with the same attention you give your face. One of our favorite ways to do that is with Sol de Janeiro's Beja Flor Elastic Cream, a rich body cream that's clinically proven to boost collagen and has been shown to improve skin crepiness on the chest in just two weeks. Plus, it's scented with Sol de Janeiro's Charosta 68 fragrance. Sol de Janeiro is offering you 10% off your first order on soldejanero.com and free shipping with the code ACAST10. That's S-O-L-D-E-J-A-N-E-I-R-O, soldejanero.com, and use the code ACAST10 for 10% off. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.